0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Boucher, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we will discuss the latest on rapid inflation, the coronavirus, key legislative battles, and the state of regulations with AAF's Douglas Oldsagan. Doug, uh, Happy New Year. I hope you had a good holiday. I had a great holiday. Happy New Year as well. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into things. We have a lot to talk about. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to chat. 2022 feels you know, a whole lot like 2021 in some ways, but very different in others. Rapid inflation is uh, still squeezing our paychecks, um, and the coronavirus is still wrecking havoc with our lives and the economy. Um, at the same time, 2021's key legislative battles, the Build Back Better Act package, seems to have disappeared from the headlines. But large pieces of the proposal are almost certainly um, to reemerge, as is heavy handed regulation. So what's the outlook for the new year? Let's start with inflation. All the basics, you know, from groceries to gas to housing um, have you know become significantly more expensive in the past years. Americans perceive this as, as nearly catastrophic. Are we overreacting? How bad are things really? Um, how does this inflation spike measure up historically speaking?
1: So first, let's just do the numbers. Um, uh, we we have the data through November on the consumer price index, uh, and that has year over uh, year top line inflation of six point eight percent. As we've discussed in in, in previous uh, podcasts, fifty percent of the typical household budget is food, energy, and shelter. Uh, food, energy, and shelter as a bundle up eight point five percent year over year. So that's not people's imagination. That's real. Uh, those are those are big increases, which are taking you know half the budget and, and jacking up pretty uh, strongly. Uh, it's the fastest inflation in four decades. It's, you know, certainly by any measure, a serious issue. Now, if you now stroll over to Constitution Avenue and go to the Federal Reserve, you have a very different conversation, which is, no, we don't look at the consumer price index. Let's look at the the one we prefer from the Bureau of Economic Analysis and, and look at the price deflator for personal consumption expenditures and By the way, let's not use all those things which uh, are volatile, so take out food and energy, and let's not uh, do something that a statistician made up. Let's only look at market transactions. There you get a a different number. You get something that's uh, about 4% uh, year over year inflation, so much lower. The reason they prefer that is that they believe is a a better indicator of future inflation. That's the problem that's not gonna go away that they have to deal with. So note for the record, that's a rate that's twice their target. So that's still a serious problem. Um, but the political problems back at the CPI, because that's what you and I are paying when we go to the pump and we go to the grocery store. And and and, and, the, and it shouldn't be dismissed because it's not this sort of preferred measure that the Fed has. I think mean, that's sort of point number one. We have big numbers, no matter how you measure them. Now the Fed has to figure out what to do um, uh, to bring the inflation rate down. S- second thing that's, um, I think, worth mentioning is where did it come from? Right. Because you must correctly identify the source of the problem if you want to address it. And and we've heard a couple of things. Um, one, it's it's somehow due to meat packers and, and grocery stores and, and and monopoly behavior by uh, these these middlemen who are jacking up the prices and uh, gouging Americans. And um, a that's not really an inflation story. That's a, a price or two, whether it's an energy price and or it's a meat price. Broad-based inflation is all prices going up, and that's what we have. So it can't come from that kind of behavior unless every company in the country somehow decided that in 2021, they had more market power than they thought and were not taking as much profit as they could have. And it's implausible to believe that everyone just woke up collectively in 2021 and thought, "Okay, let's just jack up our prices. We'll do that. So that just doesn't hang together. Yeah, at all, and 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 really, it means that these antitrust approaches and all that are, are just a red herring. They're they are not a serious uh, policy instrument. Second thing you hear is, oh, it's just supply chain stuff, and in particular, the the administration's defenders uh, say, look, everyone's got the biggest inflation than they've had in a long time. Go to Europe, go to Asia, inflation is a problem everywhere. If it's a problem everywhere, it can't be things that we did, um, and and that I don't think is actually right. Um, I've looked at this pretty carefully, particularly relative to Europe, if it was all global supply chains, then the ramp up in inflation during 2021 should be the same everywhere, and it's not. What we see is in the uh, rest of the world, inflation starts out low and ramps up steadily, Q1, Q2, Q3, and we'll get the fourth quarter data pretty soon. It's a fairly steady rise, and that reflects the global economy recovering relative to these constrained supplies, and that's that's a reality. In the U.S., you get low inflation at the beginning of the year, about one and a half percent for those sort of food, energy and shelter instead of eight and a half. And then you go to the second quarter, which is immediately after we sent out all those checks with the American Rescue Plan and inflation spikes north. And so and then it continues to rise. And so, yeah, we probably have some of this global supply chain stuff in our inflation problem. But we added to it with uh, the excessive stimulus in the American Rescue Plan. It's just it's in the data. So. In terms of what that tells us about going forward, it tells you that at least some of that inflation comes from excessive demand, and what the Federal Reserve can manage is demand. It really can't do anything about supply, but it can raise interest rates, make it less attractive to buy a car, buy a house, buy a major appliance, uh, slow down the expansion of business uh, expand, uh, spending. You know, that that's what it does. It manages demand, and so that's going to be its task. You don't want to stop it, Right, You're too abrupt, too quick. You stop the the growth, and and no one wants that because that means no no job growth, maybe even negative, bad idea. But you want to slow it because it's 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 going too fast for the supply capacity of the economy, and that is the central banker's challenge for 2022. And since that's really hard, um, it tells you why central bankers don't like entrenched inflation because it puts them in a position that's just really tenuous, right? It's, just, it's hard to do. And, and that's where we are.
0: Yeah. So you started answering a little bit of my next two questions, but on the one hand, you know, you have the, it sounds like we have the administration suggesting the culprit is the big businesses, supply chain issues, the culprit, uh, pushing those antitrust actions you wrote about. And on the other, you have, you know, congressional Republicans, Republicans blaming excessive government stimulus, particularly in the American Rescue Plan. So, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't sound like you're buying those arguments as much as it's been out there.
1: Well, I just think the, you know, pointing the finger at big business and and some antitrust action is just a red herring that's changing the subject. Uh, blaming only excessive stimulus misses the fact that there are genuine supply chain problems. I, I don't think anyone should be confused about that. But the, the American Rescue Plan was a major policy error. The administration just doesn't want to admit it. And so they're trying to change the subject every day.
0: Yeah. I think you've started talking about this as well. Um, but. What can Washington do to fix the problem? Um, you've noted many times that inflation is easy to fix. You know there is a solution, but the fix might be more painful than the problem itself. Could you just you know elaborate on that a little bit
1: more? Sure. So so you know remember uh, all of these problems, whatever version you want—the inflation version, the the lack of uh, employment that we used to have—a problem. Whatever it is, it comes back to the virus. So first and foremost, again we're back to the notion that the public health mission is the most important economic policy and i think that's the why people have a tremendous frustration with in particular the testing failure that that has become apparent in this administration you know this was the next step in getting the public health response right so that in addition to mass social distancing vaccinations you had a, a testing regime that allowed people to know when they could conduct economic commerce freely and that that will be an enormous help because the supply chain problems are, in the end, labor shortages somewhere in the globe because of the virus. And so let's deal with that. And a lot of this sort of problem uh, goes away eventually. So that's, that's sort of point number one. Uh, point number two is, you know, what, what the Fed can do is actually take actions. And they've done this. We, we saw this in particular yesterday when the minutes of the december meeting the fed were released there was aggressive language about taking on inflation and um you know we saw financial markets react strongly to that because it was more aggressive than they're used to uh, that's all an attempt to manage your expectations kyle and my expectations about what future inflation will be because if, if we believe that like we're going to take care of this then I don't start building into my calculations the need for a raise that covers future inflation. I just go back to the calculations we've been doing. And um, so they want to they want to take that component out. They want to try to manage that. That's a sort of battle of will psychology aspect. And then they want to do sensible things on making monetary policy not contribute to the problem. Like monetary policy right now is extremely, quote, accommodative. That's just monetary stimulus. Well, we don't need stimulus. We've got to go the other way. And so they're they're yanking that back, and that's their that's their job right
0: now. All right, so let's turn to regulations. Um, you've written and said you were expecting uh, the Biden administration to unleash a regulatory tsunami. The administration's first-year numbers are in, um, and that didn't exactly happen, but what did? And what did is set up for 2022 and beyond?
1: So um, t- to defend my, my statement, and here's why. I mean, it's not just a uh, a, a lambast of the administration for the sake of lambasting. I mean, I mean it, the president said the number one uh, policy issue is climate change. I didn't think and still don't think it's likely that major climate change legislation is going to go through the Congress. So that means they're going to have to do it administratively. And if it's a top priority, they're going to have to do a lot. That's a recipe for a lot of regulations. And, and their approach is going to be to do it sector by sector, so transportation, do electric cars. And so you're going to pull EPA into it, transportation into it. You're going to do energy efficiency standards, energies in it. You're going to do emissions, especially on federal lands, so interiors in it and environmental protection agencies in it. You do power generation. If you start going through the list, every agency is going to be doing something and, and aggressively. So that that was the thought. Like This is what's going to happen. And then during the year that didn't I didn't see that. Like I and I I sort of thought, well, you know, they're not doing this and I'm wrong. And um, what's going on? Well, as it turns out, uh, two things. Um, One, they really didn't get to the climate change agenda in 2021 because they were too busy getting rid of the Trump era regulations in those same era areas and most of the regulatory activity. And there was a lot I mean, there were a lot of rules. There was a lot of paperwork hours and um that was all repeal of trump era regulations to allow them to, to go forward so i still think it could happen in 2022 uh to sort of start seeing some of these big numbers i think it's especially true because when they closed the books it turns out that 2021 was the second most expensive regulatory year since we started tracking this stuff over 200 billion dollars in regulatory costs and, and most of that, $180 billion, came from one rule, which was uh, emission standards for autos uh, on greenhouse gases. So that's sort of the one thing they did that's part of their proactive climate agenda. It, it turned 2021 20, into a really expensive regulatory year, and it's, the, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So that's sort of where we are. I, I, I was wrong, I think, about the timing more than anything else. But it, if everything starts looking like that, that's going to be expensive.
0: So it sounds like it's going to be a busy year for the Dans and Reg Rodeo. Yeah.
1: They, they do fantastic work. And um, it turns out that there's a, a whole lot of fascinating regulation that goes on, not all of which has big dollar costs, but but which they flag. And so, you know, I, I've been particularly fond of the showerhead regulatory battles. So that
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always a good one. Um, yeah. You know, you're talking about how, you know, a lot of what they did was undoing those Trump It reminds me, you know, Dan did a great video a while back ago about how long it actually takes to get these regulations done. So it makes a lot of sense that it would wait until, you know, maybe year two for for all of these things to actually come to fruition. Yeah, I think that's right. Let's shift gears um, to to our favorite topic, the Build Back Better Act. Clearly, Senate Democrats failed to pass BBBA in 2021, as they had promised. Um, Now it seems to have been put on the back burner with Senate leadership declaring voting rights legislation their first priority. What does this mean for Build Back Better? Um, Even if the package idea is dead, certainly big pieces of this will return for consideration.
1: Um, What do you see returning this year? So I I didn't think, I I think uh, Senator Manchin's I'm gonna vote no on this statement was badly misinterpreted, right? In any negotiation, there's a point where you walk away as a part of the tactics. He walked away. You know, I, I am serious, not gonna do this. But what is this? Well, it was the thing that came out of the house. That doesn't mean they can't still cut a deal, and they are continuing to have that conversation. And I I still believe it's it's sensible to expect them to try to pass some variation on that theme out of the Senate. Um, what that's gonna look like remains to be seen. I think there are there are two big hurdles, one of which people understand, which is the preferences of uh, Senators Manchin and cinema, and what what will they sign off on. And, and then another one, which is really important, which is what will the parliamentarian allow to be done in reconciliation? And we still haven't heard the answer to the to that. Um, they haven't yet done the full scrubbing of each provision to see if it's okay to be in there. And there are big pieces of the climate and the prescription drug and, and other aspects of this that, that you know, aren't, aren't slam dunks. So who, who knows what that, that will look like? But they will continue to try to get that done. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, the biggest thing they have going against them is the clock. I mean, it's, it's it's taken a long time to get to some sort of a deal. They're not there yet. It'll take a long time to do the process of scrubbing it, having the parliamentarian sign off, taking votes. Then it would have to go back to the House. It would have to pass the House again. Would it? I don't know you know, it's, it's, it's now an election year. And that is not activity that you want to be doing the first of November. I mean that's activity you want done somewhere in March, April, May, I don't know exactly where the cutoff is. But um, the last time we were in a position like this was the Affordable Care Act, and that got done in March. So that's a, a way to think about it. Um, so,
0: yeah, I mean, it is an election year, of course, you know, control of, of Congress is up for grabs. So, yeah, I'm sure that's going to play into the calculus. A lot of these members want to go home and, you know, meet voters, fundraise, etc.
1: So, you know, this is one where I you know, if you sort of go around uh, uh, the the crowd that I know, who've, who've been in DC watching the federal government in action for decades, y- you get very different opinions. Like, I still think that it's hard to imagine the Democratic Party not enacting some part of the president's uh, campaign agenda, because every president has those priorities, but others think, no, it's just too hard, the reconciliation's not gonna make it and, and this won't get done. Time will tell.
0: I'll, we'll wait and see. Let's turn to the latest spike in COVID-19 cases yeah. uh, and what it means for the economy. First, what impact will uh, the Omicron variant have on the economic recovery? And second, what impact do you predict from the recent change in rhetoric from both sides of the political aisle, essentially shifting um, recommendations from hiding from the virus
1: Um, to learning to live with that? Um, Well, so let's do the latter first, because it's it's an important part of what's going on. Um, uh, That has always been my recommendation, which is, you know, lockdowns have one and only one purpose, and that is they are there to protect regional health systems from being overwhelmed uh, by cases. And and that's when you lock down, because you have to. You can get almost all the health benefits by the combination of vaccines, social distancing, masks, testing. We now have therapeutics. There's an array of other things that we can do to to deal with the health things. And all of them come at much lower economic and social costs. Like, you know, the lockdowns rip the fabric of society. They impoverish people. They they really have huge costs. So, So you don't impose those costs unless you really have to. And what we're seeing now is a basically a bipartisan acceptance of that reality, like we don't want to have to do that because it's cost too much. Um, that means that the response to this wave will be different and less economic, economically costly. I mean, we've seen that essentially now in three waves. We had the original wave in, in March of uh, 2020 and, and April. Uh, economic cost was enormous, as you recall, 20 million jobs lost in a month, you know, a cataclysm. We saw another big wave uh, in December of uh, 2020, late fall, winter, got to the point where we actually had a a negative uh, employment report in December of 2020, people started getting nervous. But on the whole fourth quarter growth was positive and first quarter growth in 2021 was over 6%. So um, that second wave we survived much better, didn't go negative, grew pretty rapidly. I expect more of the same, like as we come into, Successive waves they have smaller impacts on the economy. That's what that's what I'm expecting to see. By the numbers, I've been looking especially at the weekly claims for unemployment insurance. Like, if this wave was going to produce something like a uh, a twenty million dollar job loss, we should see those numbers spiking up, and they're not. They've risen modestly in in the past couple of weeks as the omicron uh, variant swept through the population. One would expect that there will be parts of the economy that are significantly affected. The usual Suspects don't get on a cruise ship, you know. Don't go to concerts, you know. We're we're seeing that leisure and hospitality, personal service sector affected. But we're not seeing broad based uh, impacts, and I and that's what I expect that we'll we'll, we'll work through this and li- learn to live with it.
0: Sounds like a little bit of good news in there. Uh, speaking of the economy and and how it's and how it's going. Um, final question for today: the December jobs report. Um, will be released tomorrow morning. Um, what, if anything, do you
1: expect to learn about the recovery? Uh, I think we'll we'll get a nice piece of economic history that says, you know, coming off a modest November report that was a bit puzzling um, in the in the top line jobs growth, I expect a pretty big number uh, for December. We saw the ADP report come out yesterday with eight hundred seven thousand jobs in in their measure for December. That's a big number, so I expect another big number. But that's all measured prior to the Omicron wave really spiking up. So, you know, I don't expect that in January. Again, I don't think you just sort of extrapolate that. You, you, you're you cognizant that we're going to lose some of those service sector jobs that are exposed to the virus. And January will be a little more modest. And then the the holiday wave will, will go to the rearview mirror, and then we'll, we'll grow again. So I still expect 2022 to be very solid, 4 to 5% real economic growth um, early in the year, perhaps perhaps even higher. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm relatively optimistic about the outlook for the economy.
0: Interesting. Well, Doug, thanks for breaking down all these issues. Um, before you go, though, I got to say, good luck this weekend. I know your Steelers have an 8% chance of making the playoffs. So there's still a chance, but it also could be Ben Roethlisberger's final game.
1: From me to you, Kyle, old and wise and to the, the future, life is more than the numbers. The Steelers
0: win. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks again, Doug. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.